Welcome to Global Minnesota Podcast, connecting, informing, and engaging Minnesotans with the world and exploring important international issues. For a complete list of programs and to join us, visit globalminnesota.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this special virtual opening for this exhibit that we're at today with the Mall of America. Uh, this exhibit, which looks at the time when Minnesotans fed the children of Europe, it's an amazing exhibit that we've been able to borrow from the government of Belgium who created it. And we're gonna have an opportunity today to hear from some of the people who helped bring this exhibit to life, some of the history behind it, and also to learn about the ways that Minnesota has been connected really directly to the people and to the history and life and story of Belgium and Northern France as part of First World War. Today, we're being hosted by the Mall of America, who so generously offered their space. Um, there are a lot of people on that team at the Mall of America who helped make this possible. Uh, Katie Phelan, who was one of the key people at the end to help pull it all together. Danielle Duald, who was the person making the connections possible. Uh, Matt Ritzloff did a lot of the graphics work. And our uh, really good friend and supporter in so many different things, Jill Renslow, who's the vice president, senior vice president for business development and marketing who helped make this happen. So people are helping us today as sponsors, supporters for this effort. Um, the Embassy of Belgium in Washington and the Consulate of Belgium in New York City. Wallonia Brussels International, one of the most important of the global agencies that we work with and work with their staff, Stefanos Mars in Chicago, the French American uh, Chamber of Commerce here in Minnesota, and Waffles and Dengas, who's this fabulous, fabulous Belgian waffle store there in the Mall of America. I happen to have the privilege earlier in my life to work and live in Brussels during trade negotiations and um, got myself hooked on Belgium waffles. So for me, this is a wonderful thing to have this exhibit here in this space. And our colleagues at Global Minnesota, some of whom uh, you've, ha you've had the opportunity to meet and you'll meet more of them through throughout the course of this presentation. I want to especially thank all of you who are watching today or after in our archives who are members of Global Minnesota. It's your financial support that makes all of this possible. Thank you very much. And for any of you others who are watching and who are enjoying and learning from and benefiting from this, uh, please go to our website, find out more about Global Minnesota and please join us um, in making this opportunity and other opportunities like this available on a worldwide basis now through the new digital technology. I want to ask my colleague and friend, uh, Joe Renslow from the Mall of America, to please join me and give us a brief welcome and background on how this came to be. Jill, the, the microphone is yours. Today, I want to personally invite all of you to come ex experience this display and to celebrate history here from Minnesota and America. I'm proud to share this moment in history with our guests, and thank you so much. Thank you again, Jill. We're going to open with a recorded message from our U.S. ambassador in Brussels, who was thrilled to find out that this was happening here. He's very devoted to building deeper relationship between our countries and our people. Uh, and uh, he uh, provided us with a, a brief greetings. And I'll turn the mic over to them. I'm Ron Gidwitz, the U.S. ambassador to the Kingdom of Belgium. 
I'm pleased to join you today for this special World Food Day program. You'll be hearing from government officials and historians about the millions of lives that were saved by the U.S.-led Commission for Relief in Belgium. This is a remarkable story of private Americans coming to the aid of Belgium during the darkest days and years of World War I. Cut off from the outside world due to Allied blockades and under German occupation, the population of Belgium was near starvation. Witnessing an emerging humanitarian catastrophe, a businessman named Herbert Hoover took the lead in organizing a food relief program of unprecedented scale. First as a private citizen and then as the chairman of the Commission for Relief in Belgium, he saw to the delivery of millions of tons of concentrated food over the course of four years. I won't go into any more of the details of this extraordinary humanitarian effort. Suffice it to say that it's one of the foundations on which we have built today's enduring U.S.-Belgian partnership. When I arrived in Belgium in the summer of 2018, one of the first things I did was attend a World War I centenary ceremony in the city of Ypres, where I was overwhelmed by the huge turnout and the moving tribute that they paid to all of those who fought and died for our freedom. Since then, I've attended dozens of ceremonies around the country, and they all have one element in common. Belgians do not forget. They don't forget all of the American soldiers who fought and died on their soil, nor have they forgotten the American-led food relief program that saved their fellow citizens from starvation. Later today, you'll be seeing letters from Belgian schoolchildren expressing their gratitude to the United States. Belgians around the country have shown these to me along with the famous flower bags. These bags arrived in Belgium as lifelines to the people. Many of the empty bags like this one were subsequently embroidered with messages of gratitude and then sent back to the United States. We have a number of other original bags on display here at our embassy in Brussels. They serve as a constant reminder of this important chapter in our shared history. There is one here beside me where you can clearly see the important role that Minnesota played in providing this much needed flower. In the same way that the people of Belgium have never forgotten, we at the U.S. Embassy have made the same commitment. We've worked on multiple exhibitions, ceremonies, and conferences over the years, highlighting the importance of the food relief program. It serves not only as a key part of our bilateral relationship, but also as an example of the best of humanity during one of the darkest hours in our history. Belgium and the United States have formed a strong bond built on shared sacrifices during two world wars and on our joint commitment to help build a Europe that is free and at peace. Citizens of both countries know that by standing together, our families are safer and our people are more prosperous than ever before. Thanks to everyone in Minnesota for marking this incredibly important moment in history today. Please stay safe. Thank you very much to Ambassador. And um, that's a very 
wonderful short summary of a very big history, and I am so appreciate the time and then putting it together with those great images, and someday I want to be able to go and see that. We're going to move now to uh, an introduction of our uh, speakers. I want to first turn to um, the uh, Consul General of the Consulate of Belgium in New York, uh, Consul General Frank Gerkins, and has uh, opportunity to introduce um, the ambassador and to make comments uh, uh, on behalf of the consulate in New York. Thank you again for being here with us today. Thank you very much, uh, Mark Ritchie, uh, Jill Wenslow, uh, Stefanos Morris, and your teams for making this happen. Our meeting is virtual, but uh, our friendship is real. So thank you very much for this friendship and this uh, common endeavor. Um, at a time when, when history has become subject now of intense debate uh, in politics and society, we are celebrating today shared history of which we can all be proud of and which is inspiring to all and everyone. More than 100 years ago, the United States showed that a great nation can be a great actor and a great benefactor for other nations. The Belgian gratitude has been expressed in many ways, but in none more heartfelt than in the letters of gratitude by the children of Belgium, which are exhibited now at the Mall of America in Minneapolis. I would like to add a word of gratitude also to the organization that became the descendants of the Commission for Relief of Belgium. Exactly 100 years ago in 1920, the Belgian American Educational Foundation was created as a way to continue the inspiration and the values of the Commission in the field of education. Since 1920, the Belgian American Educational Foundation has offered grants to almost 5,000 Belgian students to attend universities in the US and American students to attend universities in Belgium. For many years now, this exceptional program is run by the great professor Emile Poulpa. Just a word of gratitude there too. Gratitude to all who then and now have been working and are still working for the good of our peoples. Thanks again to the organizers of the exhibit, which I wish a great success. And now I have the special honor and a great uh, pleasure to introduce my great friend and colleague, our ambassador in Washington, uh, Jean-Arthur Régibault. Um, he is a man for all seasons, uh, an outstanding diplomat. Uh, he recently arrived in, in Washington, D.C. after finishing a term, a successful term in Moscow. Um, in these times of challenges to international relations, uh, and I do not need to expand on that, I'm sure he's the right man in the right place. So for all uh, good care of bilateral relations, we can trust on Ambassador Jean-Arthur Régibault, please. Thank you, Frank. I'm very honored to be uh, your guest today, and uh, I will join Frank in thanking all people who made this uh, event possible. Uh, it's also not by happenstance that uh, uh, just a few years ago, I used to be the Deputy Commissioner General in charge of organizing the commemorations uh, in memory of World War I in Belgium. Uh, indeed, first, I am myself from Liège, so that is the city that was first attacked by the German invader. Also uh, to note is that my father was born during World War I near Liège. And so it's probably one of these people who benefited from um, the American help. 
Uh, it's not by happenstance either that uh, his first name was Albert, because Albert was the name of our king. At that time, he had proudly decided to resist any type of invasion uh, because Belgium was a neutral country. But uh, it's not just the city of Liege that suffered heavily from World War I, the Hentai country did. And I especially want to mention the Flanders fields that are now a well-known name in history because for four years, uh, people met on the battlefield in this uh, region of Belgium and uh, along the river Iser, uh, so that uh, nowadays uh, people still remember it with strong feelings. We had uh, a look through the presentation by my American colleague in Brussels, Ron Gidwitz, of the cemeteries uh, in this region. You have to know also that the landscape itself is still part of the memory because the landscape with all the munitions that had been used for four years had been totally uh, changed by uh, the war and the bombs that exploded for so many years. Um, so uh, we are especially indebted to uh, all these Americans who participated in this uh, food relief. And um, these letters by children, I think, are a moving testimony to uh, what we owe American people uh, to this time. So these letters, they connect people. They are a part of history, but they still connect people today both on the Belgian side, because indeed we do remember, and all the Americans who probably participated in that program. So once again, even a century later, a big thank you to all Americans and uh, their families who participated in this big effort. So thank you for your attention. And now I will give the floor to one of our fellow uh, Belgian uh, diplomats, uh, which is uh, Bernard Genen, who is the uh, trade and economic counselor at the Consular General in New York. Bernard, you have the floor. Thank you very much, Mr. Ambassador, and good afternoon, everyone. I'm joining you from Belgium, where it is currently 7.20 p.m., uh, and very happy to do so. I guess back in 2014, I was the lucky one. I was at the right time at the right place at the Embassy of Belgium in Washington, D.C., when Nancy Heingardner came by with a wonderful array of 30-plus drawings and uh, poetry uh, from, from uh, children of Liège to her great-grandfather, Alexander Heingardner, who at that time, in the, during World War I, was Consul General of the United States in Liège. Right away and without bragging, uh, if, you, if, if you excuse me, I realized that those documents, those drawings, those, those poetries were of historical value on top of aesthetical value. They were absolutely amazing. They had been hidden uh, in a trunk for about uh, 100 years, 97 precisely. And Nancy, who's joining us today, just uncovered them uh, recently, back in 2014. And she came to us uh, asking us, do you know about this? Do you know about my great-grandfather, Alexander Heingartner? And I, 
I put a message in a bottle and I sent it to the city of Liège, of, of, mentioned by uh, Ambassador Régibault, his native city, and I sent it to two eldermen, the eldermen for culture and the eldermen for education. And right away they answered me saying, Bernard, please reach out to Librairie of Bibliothèque, Library, Ulysse Capitaine, which is devoted to keeping uh, the history and the artifacts of the province of Liège. And right away, uh, the Capitaine uh, Ulysse uh, Library uh, jumped on the bandwagon and realized the uh, value and the historical uh, reach of that exhibit. And soon enough, they were able to organize uh, the exhibit. Uh, it was dedicated in uh, December 2015 by Ambas then Ambassador Denise Bauer from the US. Uh, uh, Nancy uh, was, as, as, was present as well and gave the address. And it, it is really truly uh, touching uh, and, and, and very moving to see all those letters. I remember one specifically of a young school children, child in Liège, mentioning, thanks to the American people, thanks to you, I was able to eat a very nice big red apple. That was in 1917. Nancy didn't know where her great-grandfather was buried, if it, were in, it was in Belgium, France, or even the US. Thanks to the city of Liège, I was able to uh, identify the, the tombstone which was very nondescript at the time. Remember, Ambassador Heingardner died in uh, 1917, just a few days before uh, the US entered World War I. So by then the German was, were occupying the city and it was not well perceived to have full honors for a, an American official. So his tombstone just reads uh, Alexander Heingardner, born July 14, 1857, died March 3rd, 30, sorry, 1917. The city of Liège was fantastic. The, the cemetery is called Robermont, which is the largest of the city. The tombstone, by pure coincidence, is in the main alley of this, that wonderful cemetery. I visited the tombstone and the city of Liège took to clean it, to restore it, and to add a plaque that reads uh, as such, Alexander Heingardner, Consul General of the USA, from uh, 1911 until 1917, active in the food relief aid for children of Liège. And what is also moving is that every year from now on, during, well, during Memorial Day, at Memorial Day, there will be a full honor on the tombstone uh, of the uh, Ambassador Heingardner with Belgian and American uh, military and flags and full honors. So I think it's a wonderful story. Uh, Nancy will tell you more about that, but thank you very much. And uh, we Belgians, of course, will be forever grateful to the American people. Thank you. Thank you, Councillor, and thank you for bringing us into that story in such a beautiful and moving way. What, what a great, uh, opportunity here. Um, this uh, relief 
uh, was for the entire region, uh, the German occupation and the British blockade. And this is included Northern France and they're very, very important. And I'm so thrilled that we can have uh, Council General Guillaume Lacroix from Chicago, a very good friend of Minnesota, somebody we work with a lot. We're very, very fortunate to have him in our Midwest region. And I want to turn the microphone over to you, Council General. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mark. And thank you for inviting me to be part of this uh, very uh, important uh, opening of the exhibition. And I would like to first to say that uh, as the father of a girl who was born in Brussels, I feel uh, so much connections with Belgium as a, as a French diplomat, but also as a French citizens. And our grandparents, great grandparents, were uh, stuck together at a very, very nasty times and America cared for us and for them. I am the grandson of a World War I veteran and um, we have so many stories in our families about um, the occupation and about the disasters of war. And it turns out that be it World War I or World War II, Americans play a very, very important role and a very decisive role. But it is not only America as a country, as a political entity, as an army. It is the American people. Uh, most of the items that were uh, shipped to Europe during World War I and later during World War II were manufactured here in the Midwest by regular American citizens, men and women, and many women who cared for um, the welfare of the European populations. And I think this exhibition is uh, important also in the sense that it highlights the people-to-people -people connections that, had, that has existed over time and that we need, not only because we are engaged diplomats, but because we are engaged citizens, that we need to, to keep and certainly to, to develop. Um, President Hoover, is a kind of unsung hero or among the unsung heroes of World War I. I learned about President Hoover at school. Um, it was a chapter about the Great Depression. A bit unfair for President Hoover regarding what he did for the Belgian people and the French people and Europe as a whole during World War I. And we don't know in France about, we don't know so much about the history. Northern France, remember, the rest of France as a, as a rough idea, but not enough. So I will be very uh, committed to work with you uh, and all our partners to make this story probably better well-known in France. I read a book about President Hoover. I recommend it. And he says that President Hoover received thousands of offers for recognition in Europe, and he only accepted two. One, a special recognition that was uh, created for him by uh, the Belgian king, the king of Belgians, and the French Legion of Honor. I think it, it, it speaks volume about the very special connection between us. And if we look at the history, and this, I will end my, my remark with that, um, the importance of Minnesota in this, the role of Minnesota in uh, uh, producing uh, food and flour uh, that saves millions life in, in Europe, but in history, think of Father Hennepin. Um, the county is named after Father Hennepin. Father Hennepin 
was a French priest, but he was born in what is now Belgium. He was born in the Hainaut region of Provence, and he is the first European who mapped the Saint Anthony Falls, uh, the so important falls that uh, are at the origin of the prosperity of the twin cities, and he named them after Saint Antoine de Padoue, Saint Anthony, and across um, generations and centuries very special connections have uh, been uh, created between Minnesota and Europe and to nowadays, today's in France of the 21st century, we welcome so many important companies, especially in the ag sector, but not only, coming from the Twin Cities and Minnesota in general. General Mills is one of them. The Agendas ice creams that are, that are produced for the world market outside the United States are actually produced in France, in the Hauts-de-France region, the region that is bordering Belgium. And we welcome even more investments. And we, uh, this, is, this is the message that I want to pass. We remember and we want to keep a very, very strong alliance uh, in all fields with America and with Minnesota in particular. Security, political, but also business. Thank you very much for for accepting and offering me to be part of the program. Thank you, Mark. Thank you so much, Council General, and thank you for remembering Herbert Hoover and that uh, honoring by the King of Belgium is uh, inside of these amazing, amazing remembrances and books of gratitude. So we want to deepen our remembrance, but we also want to see how this takes us into the future. And it's thrilling today to have um, Nancy Heingartner here with us. Uh, she's the Assistant Director for Outreach in the Institute for Regional and International Studies at the University of Wisconsin, our neighbors, really close by neighbors, and um, also uh, a person who really saw the importance and has been one of the main people helping make sure that the exhibitions come alive with the history and that we begin to remember how this connects us. So Nancy, thank you for being with us here today. Well, thank you for that introduction and thank you for including me in this. Um, I am very, very um, delighted to be with you here today and I'm especially grateful to Mark, um, to Stefano and to my old friend at this point, Bernard, um, for um, accepting my family and um, our story into your community. Um, so my paternal great-grandfather, Alexander Heingartner, was born in 1857 in New York City, but spent most of his youth in Canton, Ohio, where his father owned a paper mill. On December 6, 1898, the 41-year-old Alexander was nominated by his friend from Canton, President William McKinley, to be U.S. Consul to Catania, Italy. After seven years in Italy, Alexander's next two posts were in the Russian Empire, Batum, which is in present-day Georgia, and then Riga, now the capital of Latvia. On August 19, 1911, Alexander received his commission to serve as consul at Liège, Belgium. His first years in Belgium were quiet and relatively uneventful. That ended on August 4th, 1914, a week after the start of World War I, when Germany invaded Belgium and all supply routes to the country were cut off. In a country where three quarters of the food was imported, supplies diminished rapidly. At the outset of the war, the State Department recalled staff from Belgium back to the US. 
Alexander sent his daughters, Ruth and Ray, as well as his wife, Catherine, back home, but decided to remain in Belgium at his own risk. As the highest ranking US official in Liège at this time, Alexander became a member of the Commission for Relief in Belgium and was put in charge of making sure that the Belgian relief supplies that arrived at the US consulate in Liège were distributed to the people who needed them. Now we skip ahead almost exactly 100 years to an evening in a small town in central Ohio, where my father and I, also Alexander Heingartner, made a discovery in an old steamer trunk that he had been storing in the attic of the house I grew up in. The trunk belonged to Ray Heingartner, one of Alexander's daughters. It had sat undisturbed for many decades in the attic of our house in central Ohio. When dad and I opened the trunk, we found Belgian lace, some antique nightgowns and undergarments, many pairs of very elegant women's gloves, some umbrellas, and a brightly wrapped package tied in pink silk ribbons. That was at the, the very bottom of the trunk. The package contained a handmade book consisting of page after page of letters of gratitude written in French from Belgian schoolgirls to the American people. They were written in response to the humanitarian aid their families had gotten from the Commission for Relief in Belgium. Due to the fact that they had been in the, the trunk for so long, the letters were in almost perfect condition. They were delivered to Alexander at the consulate to share with the people of America. As it happens, my great-grandfather died in Liège on March 30, 1917, a week to the day before the U.S. entered the war. As Bernard mentioned, he's buried on one of the main thoroughfares of the Robermont Cemetery in Liège. Um, having only a few minutes today, I'm going to uh, now jump to the way that I close every talk I give about the Belgian letters. Um, by reading the only letter that was written in English. André Lepin, a young lady at the professional middle school of Liège, wrote it on February 22, 1915. This letter is a reminder in a time of so many uncertainties of one of the extraordinary deeds of generosity the U.S. has carried out in its history. May there be many more of these in the future. May I, in the name of all the schoolgirls and our families, express our heartfelt thanks who with touching solicitude have used every endeavor to relieve us from the horrors of a cruel war. With exquisite delicacy, the valiant and generous nation turned toward her suffering and dejected sister nation. You have addressed us admirable words of esteem and sympathy which inflamed our hearts soothed our despondency and strengthened our confidence. You have supplied us with bread and freed us from the heartrending fear of starvation. But amongst all the proofs of your kindness, what moved the children of unfortunate Belgium most was the fraternal outburst which, from one continent to another, united us to the children of free America. We received their gifts with unspeakable emotion. We read their lovely letters. We answered them, but we could not express the gratitude which filled our hearts. May we hope, gentlemen, that you will accept to be our interpreters. Will you tell them that though we shall most probably never meet with them, we shall always love them, for we shall never forget, and our hearts overflowing with gratitude, we exclaim, 
Thank you. Hurrah for the children of America. Three cheers for the stars and stripes. Thank you. Thank you so much, Nancy. And thank you for just giving us what our hearts are filled up is an understanding that out of organized kindness, something as gigantic as feeding not just Belgium and France, but Hoover and the others went on through the whole decade. But the concept of organized gratitude has a meaning and a deepening that we cannot fully put into words, but this young girl could put it into our language in a way that could open our hearts very, very wide. So thank you for sharing that. And I look forward to, we are going to do a longer telling of this history soon, and I can't wait to hear other parts of your presentation. When Herbert Hoover was asked, and he basically said, yes, I'll take on this task. He was a 40-year-old engineer, entrepreneur, business owner, and international person. He was in London somewhat by accident, trying to find some exhibitors for a World's Fair being planned in San Francisco. But when he said yes, he knew somewhat how big of a project this was going to be, and he knew that he had to reach deep into the heart of America if he was going to raise the money, find the food, arrange for its shipment, make an arrangement with the British government and the German government and the armies on the ground. And he reached out to America and found one of his most important partners, James Ford Bell, who was president at that time of Washburn Crosby, which was um, one of the largest milling companies in the world. It owned the A mill, the largest of the mills at that time, flour milling. And it was part of making Minneapolis and all of our region, uh, the flower capital of the world. And we are so fortunate to have, um, have the opportunity to hear from his grandson, uh, Ford Bell, who's a friend of mine. He's, uh, among other things, many things, a veterinarian, national leader of the American Association of Museums, uh, one of our community's most important voices in terms of natural history, but also in remembering our, our historical roots. Uh, we had the privilege of serving together with the Minnesota Historical Society. And um, Ford, your, your participation and your uh, sharing with us today is so important. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, Mark. Um, I, I'm very honored to be here and to participate. And I just want to make a couple of brief comments. I know that um, Mr. Hoover and my grandfather, James Ford Bell, shared two heritages. They, were, they shared a Midwestern heritage, of course, but they also shared a Quaker heritage, which called them, that Quaker heritage, called them to serve when an enormous tragedy engulfed the people of Belgium and indeed all of Europe. To the end of his life, my grandfather talked about his time in Europe during World War I, and he recalled that service in written documents, including his diary. I know that he would be pleased, very pleased, that 100 years later, we are honoring and memorializing the resilience and courage of the people of Belgium. And I know he would be pleased that we are remembering the beautiful letters sent by the brave and indomitable children who were caught up in the horrors of that war. Thank you. Thank you, Ford. And I know from other parts of your grandfather's diary that he remembered at the moment of the outbreak of what we now call the Second World War, 
he remembered and noted that, oh, this will be another time of famine and hunger. And I think we don't know uh, enough today of how clear those who saw the First World War and then saw again the Second World War, what they knew about the necessity of humanity to take a new turn. And it was uh, one of their partners, General Eisenhower, who at his moment of coming through the war was really clear, we can't do this again. And he also is the inspiration for creating somewhat on the model that your grandfather and Hoover and others created uh, what we now call the World Food Program. And it's pretty exciting that that program uh, created with the impetus of Eisenhower and then following him, JFK and our own Senator McGovern was uh, awarded the Nobel Peace Prize this week. So I think the connection between peace and food security, war and hunger is so deeply uh, told through this story that maybe this exhibit can not only give us some sense of history, but give us some momentum for creating that better future that your grandfather and so many others uh, were devoted to. So thank you again. We are really honored today to have uh, as our guest um, and our final speaker, the historian who really has dealt the deepest and created the most important written, in, written record of the life of Herbert Hoover up through this period. And um, we're really, really grateful to have that opportunity today to hear from George Nash uh, as a historian about this amazing and, and, uh, and, and deeply impactful uh, Quaker humanitarian, mining engineer, president, and a person who cared so deeply about children that it guided much of his life and his thinking throughout all of those careers. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Mark, for that very gracious introduction and good afternoon, everyone. It's a pleasure to be in such distinguished company on such an important occasion. The beautiful exhibit that opens today calls attention to an extraordinary chapter in 20th century history, a chapter of which few Americans are aware. From my perspective as a historian, three features of this saga stand out. The first is the sheer novelty of it. When Herbert Hoover and his associates established the Commission for Relief in Belgium in October 1914, no one anticipated that this humanitarian mission would last more than a few months. But as the clash of giant armies degenerated into a gruesome stalemate on the Western Front, Hoover's emergency undertaking turned into an elaborate enterprise without precedent in human history, an organized rescue of an entire nation from the threat of starvation in the middle of a terrible war. The second remarkable fact is the sheer magnitude and duration of this undertaking. Between 1914 and 1919, Hoover's relief organization delivered nearly 5 million metric tons of supplies to the beleaguered civil, civil, civilian population of Belgium, as well as, beginning in 1915, desperate civilians in German-occupied northern France. It helped to save the lives and maintain the 
the health of more than 9 million people trapped behind German lines. And of course, it made Herbert Hoover an international hero, the symbol of American benevolence in times of trial. When the First World War ended, Hoover's relief work in Europe expanded under President Wilson's direction to include the disbursement of food to hungry people in more than 20 nations, eventually including communist Russia. It was a Herculean endeavor. All in all, between 1914 and 1923, Hoover directed, financed, or assisted a multitude of international humanitarian relief efforts without parallel in history. During this nearly 10-year period, the Commission for Relief in Belgium and numerous other governmental and private organizations delivered nearly 34 million metric tons of food to the nations and peoples imperiled by World War I and its aftermath. In today's currency, the value of this aid exceeded $60 billion. Tens of millions of people owed their lives to these exertions. It was later said of Hoover that he was responsible for saving more lives than any other person in history. And here is the third point that greatly impresses me. The work of the Commission for Relief in Belgium and its successors was more than a minor episode in what was then called the Great War. It was, in fact, a pioneering effort in global philanthropy. It helped to lay the foundations for the vast network of transnational, non-governmental, benevolent institutions that we take for granted today. So on this occasion of remembrance, let us reflect as this charming and poignant exhibit encourages us to do upon the remarkable humanitarian ventures initiated and sustained by Hoover and many others who assisted and followed him. Here is one legacy of the Great War that can comfort and inspire. Thank you. Thank you so much, George Nash, and thank you for bringing us into a deeper and much more complex understanding of just the size and scope and the scale of this. And I want to uh, let people know who are watching that this is um, one of, of what will be a number of exhibits and other educational opportunities right now at this moment and the Germanic American Institute here in the Twin Cities in St. Paul. Uh, there's an exhibit about the U.S. Army occupation of the Rhine region right after the war. So this was the time Hoover was very, very active in all of Europe. Uh, and it focuses on the humanitarian relief that was brought to that region because the soldiers and others who came realized what was a desperate condition. And uh, some of the, the organizations and some of the people um, went back to the United States and raised a tremendous amount of money to feed children and mothers there in that region. And that's celebrated and explained in a historical exhibit at the uh, Germanic American Institute. And um, the Nobel Committee in uh, Oslo 
um, has created an exhibit about uh, the feeding and the, 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 the relief effort that took place in Russia. Um, there, uh, Norwegian Fritjof Nansen was uh, awarded with the Nobel Prize uh, for his role in that feeding and other humanitarian activity. But it's part of that story that um, Herbert Hoover helped to organize and led the feeding of maybe 20 million people through that terrible drought, what some have called the worst uh, famine in human history, 21, 22, 23. So these, um, these are parts of our history and, and, and our uh, story that we're now digging in. More of this will be uh, talked about and presented at our World Food Day event, which is always each year on October 16th. That's coming up on this Friday, uh, if you're watching this live today. And um, we'll have the special opportunity because the International uh, Executive Director of the World Food Program will be the opening speaker in the morning, this first morning, and their head of all operations will be the opening in the afternoon. And they've just been awarded the Nobel Prize. And I want to close by saying there was a moment in this creation of this organized kindness um, that Herbert Hoover uh, orchestrated and ran from Europe that James Ford Bell, who at that time was a, the head of the grain milling company who then formed General Mills, um, they and thousands of others, largely volunteer, uh, put together an organized kindness that then not only generated an organized gratitude, but it gave people the information about where we need to think as a humanity about how do we deal with the problems and how do we deal with the circumstances that we have. Um, and this idea uh, really resonated with the military leaders like General Eisenhower, who just said, we could not go on. We could not have a third world war. And in that context, the idea that what they had done through the commission and the organized feeding and food relief um, should be institutionalized through the just created United Nations and the ability of General Eisenhower in particular, but others to say, you know, we need to create the mechanisms of peacemaking and peacekeeping but we need to address the underlying conditions by which people fall into conflict, hunger and food security being first on his list. It was the first uh, specialized institution created after the UN was founded, the Food and Agricultural Organization. So we are celebrating and focusing on this exhibit of one moment, but we can also build and understand the history in a way so that we, uh, we know that the recognition of the World Food Program and their work in addressing international situations uh, in conflict zones or drought or like Beirut where there was an explosion, we now see that we are part of a history that expects us to continue making the future better those who came before us, whether it was Herbert Hoover or James Ford Bell or uh, the Consul General of the U.S. in Liège, but we have the energy and the beauty and the movingness of the gratitude letters and the story about what was behind that to give us perhaps the vitamins, the energy, the vision, and what it takes to continue to make the world a better place and to be resilient in the future to be human beings that care for each other 
and finding a way to do that. This exhibit gives us that chance. And again, the government of Belgium and Nancy's finding these beautiful, beautiful letters gave us this opportunity. But all of you who've sponsored and helped us do this, the uh, Waffles Dengues and the people from the French American uh, Chamber of Commerce, the consulate, uh, gen the consulate in New York, the um, embassy in Washington, D.C., and the Wallonia Bul um, Brussels International. All of you helped us to make this happen today. We will be continuing to follow and to bring forth more information and more stories. Um, but with today's ceremony, we have now officially opened this exhibit. It will be up in the Mall of America, again, on the third floor in the north part. You can see it on the wall there. Please go out and visit. And please think about the other ways that we can connect our history to our hearts, to each other's. And someday um, we will have these stories more fully guiding how we think about our future. So for all of you who've tuned in today, thank you for being part of this very special occasion, opening this exhibit. Please do come and see it in person and there's more information online at uh, globalminnesota.org. And also for those of you who um, uh, have other information or other ideas, I could see there were some, some questions. Please do email us at Global Minnesota. And um, thank you again to all, and um, thank you for being part of making this special day even better. Bye now.